politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our liberty and independence here on this Thursday, July 1st, as we head into Independence Day weekend. Uh, Folks, glad to be back in the house here. Daniel Hurwitz, your uh, benevolent show host here back in the house. And July 1st, new half of the year, new month. We need to start calling July the American Pride Month. You know, everyone else, every every, uh, eclectic group seems to get their own month, including uh, months named after sinful behavior. But how about an American Pride Month? Something that is in line with the preamble of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence um, that is for the whole of the people. That's what the country is for. It's not for any particular group. It's for the whole of the people, the citizens of this country. So, you know, as we head into July 4th, um, you know, the legal holidays will be Monday. We're going to be off on Monday. Tomorrow we'll have a little bit of a modified special July 4th show. But I want to talk about, you know, first principles, the fundamentals of the Declaration of the Constitution today as well, while going through some of the news of the day, both with court opinions, crime, COVID fascism, abortion, a lot of things going on. So we're going to tie in both first principles and the news of the day. Um, because really, this should be the month we celebrate the Declaration, the Constitution, unalienable rights, the contours of individual rights, and the powers of government, the appropriate prerogative of a government. Really, in those 240 words, the preamble of the Declaration, and then expressed specifically in the preamble of the Constitution, it explains the underpinnings of a just government and how they intersect the fundamental rights of people. And if you look at what's going on in this country now, the ideals of both equal protection were created equally and unalienable rights and the two tied together, because if you don't understand what unalienable rights are, you can't have true equality because equal under the law means, doesn't mean you're, if he gets a lollipop, I get a lollipop. It means you're equal in terms of access to those unalienable rights. Nothing more, nothing less. Those principles, which literally are the foundation of our government, of our country, are completely destroyed today. We have irreconcilable differences in this country about what is a fundamental right What is a governmental power? What's a state power? What's a federal power? And how they intersect with individuals? We're going to prove that today, which is, again, why I'm going to continue pushing this national divorce in some way, a national maybe separation. You know, you have custody of some of the kids. You do things together, but you live separately. It's already headed in that direction. The question is, are we going to be under their thumb or are we going to have our fiefdom? We're never going to control them. I'm just telling you realistically, that's where we are. Now, speaking of first principles, if you want to really understand the Constitution, I encourage all of you guys to become a Constitution coach 
for Rick Green's Patriot Academy. Uh, go to constitutioncoach.com. As many of you know, um, I've loved going out with Rick and the Constitution Coach team to Front Sight Nevada for their amazing combination of Constitution classes and handgun training. Again, I hope to attend the October 31st trip. Looking forward to you guys showing up there. 90% off the price. Check it out. But they also have the most entertaining and inspirational courses on the Constitution ever created. And Rick does the teachings from Independence Hall. It's all online for free. And then you guys could become a Constitution Coach So this is how you can invite 20, 30 friends in your house and begin learning about the Constitution, but also learning about how it applies today and what to do with it. They already have over a 1,000 classes taking place. So again, go to constitutioncoach.com and patriotacademy.com to find out more. All right, folks. So I was going to talk about how we're getting screwed in the courts. They're turning individual rights, governmental powers upside down, inside out. What is free speech? What's not? I'm going to juxtapose four or five court decisions against each other just to show how absurd it is. Now, it's a little bit weird because as I am recording this, we got good news. The final two uh, decisions released today from the Supreme Court were actually good opinions. Six to three, as you should expect, we actually did get all the Republican appointed justices ruling the right way. But what I'm going to tell you today actually works with that. Because even with those good decisions, they don't fully preclude the lower courts from continuing their their garbage, and they're going to continue it. So, for example, in the Arizona case, finally, finally, after a decade of lost elections because states were precluded or overridden by lower federal courts, from just simply having voting the way it always was without the Democrat shenanigans. In this case, specifically, the two that the state was trying to stop was ballot harvesting, you know, when a third-party organization just collects absentee ballots and hands them in, and number two, out-of-precinct voting. And it was a very categorical good opinion um, that, of course, it doesn't violate the Section 2 of the VRA, which was written in 1982 when no states were even doing out of precinct voting, early voting, ballot harvesting, and uh, it, it's not discriminatory. And it was—I was, I don't think I would have written it any differently. It's not like Thomas or you know any of the other ones had a stronger concurrence. It just—I'm just warning you—it's not going to stop the lawsuits and the ensuing low, lower court injunctions on every other ballot integrity initiative that we want to push but i will say it does preclude any state legislatures from having excuses republican controlled that is of dealing with this issue now so that was a good opinion but again democrats always will fight for their for 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 their crazy rights in the lower courts so i want to talk about how equality equal under the law equal protection and unalienable rights have been completely, completely crushed. And before we get to our first court case today, I just want to discuss a story that I bet none of you have heard about, but it just underscores what we're talking about. So you know how we've been talking about for years already, this crisis of repeat violent offenders being released on little or no bail, and then they go out and commit other crimes and needless crimes, And that's really one of the biggest uh, security threats 
uh, the the more the worse of a threat it goes, the more in most states they continue to head in the direction of you know just just abolishing bail, releasing people without bail. There's a story in Florida. Okay, this is a conservative area. Good sheriff there, Volusia County. We talked about that recently. That's where Daytona Beach is where there was this man who allegedly pointed a gun and yelled racial slurs at a black family driving through the Deland area, um, and he's being charged with a hate crime. And basically, it was a family, you know, a mother, father, two children, uh, young teens, that uh, they were driving on, on the state route there and at a certain intersection, a four-door yellow hatchback carrying four people pulled up next to them. A passenger pulled out a handgun and stated, I will kill you, Nick. That was the words he used. And the victim said they feel they feared for their lives. It was unprovoked. And they drove away from the intersection. The suspect, I think, went after them, caught up with the family again. When they got out, the traffic stopped. The, the driver stepped out of the car and it, I don't believe he was pointing a gun at them then. And I don't know if they were pointing it the first time either. They might have just taken it out. I'm not sure. But he shouted more obscenities at them and then left. And obviously, this is, you know, very, you know, this is hateful. Um, police need to arrest the person, investigate it, and punish him commensurate with the crime he committed. That is a crime to threaten to assault someone with a with a gun to shoot them that that's not protected by first amendment obviously but i think you guys know where i'm headed with this this guy is 21 year old he is being held without bail now i'm fine with that if you want to make that as the threshold for criminality that it's going to trigger being held without bail pre-trial i must tell you then anyone who actually lays a hand on someone, not just threatens them with words, or maybe takes out his gun. And I understand why they were scared. I would be too. But I will just tell you, I mean, you know, where I live, I mean, we've had this um, where a group of black teens will beat the hell out of people and shout um, racist things, sometimes anti-Semitic things. Certainly we're seeing this in New York with the anti-Semitic attacks, the anti-Asian attacks beaten to a pulp. At the end of the day, nothing was done to these people. They were scared, and I understand that. Certainly is a crime. But these people beaten to a pulp, and they are released on no or little bail. I mean, every day I could load you up with stories from New York and San Francisco on these type of attacks. Totally racially motivated, but they actually physically attack a person, which is really the red line when it comes to criminality. Now, again, I'm not saying in this case it's freedom of speech to take out a gun and say, I'm going to shoot you. Um, But it is not a crime to hate someone, okay? Constitutionally, it is not a crime to call someone a nigga. It is not a crime to call someone a white cracker. It's not a crime to call someone a Jew, whatever. You know, whatever hateful obscenity you could think of, that is not a crime. But what we've done is we've created these hate crimes where we place enhancements onto... um, legitimate crimes and then enhance them. And obviously I've always said over the years, I don't, I don't like, 
you know, this this thought crime business. To me, our deterrent and punishment should be tough enough that you don't need that. But while I'm very happy that we're finally getting tough on crime, I think you can understand what's a little bit disquieting. Um, because for every one of these stories, there's about a thousand where the racial roles are reversed. And I could tell you, when the guy lays a hand on the victim, they don't get held without the possibility of bail, much less just threaten. So again, we have a two-tier justice system in this country. That is not okay. I, I want to make it clear. I'm not saying I'm not okay with theoretically holding a guy like this without bail, but our general system does not support that. It just doesn't. It's all racially motivated, and that, that, that is very disturbing. Very, very disturbing. We have no equal protection under the law in this country, and that is you know equal, equal protection within the legal framework, the court system. Um, this is exactly what that means in the declaration. Um, again, in this case, I don't, I'm not, not defending the guy here, saying he shouldn't get punished, but I'm just saying you know we're, we're literally at the point of almost, again, this case it was, it went over that line. It is criminal. It's not just words, but we really are close to, and I think there have been cases where we're downright punishing and, and criminally charging people for saying hateful things to blacks, whereas if you have a black that not only says hateful things to someone who's white or Asian or whatever and, and beats them and assaults them, they're really not punished commensurate with what they've done, much less get an enhancement for some sort of a, um, you know, hate hate whatever that's called uh hate crime so with that i want to get to our court cases and start off with you know the new racism critical race theory in the courts uh but first just a word from our sponsor today who happens to be a terrific listener from this show uh from our, uh, missouri andre ong um, these days, a lot of people are looking to protect their home savings, their investments, their vehicles, even their guns from lawsuits, from government. Everyone wants a piece out of you. Now, those of you looking to pass on your estate to your children, um, you really do need affordable protection to create a moat and a castle around your estate to keep your estate private. Liberty Estate Plans will ensure that your estate is out of reach from Medicaid avoids probate, and gives you control now and after you pass away. Each plan is customized for your unique situation. They don't just fill out stock forms. You're going to pay a one-time fee, and then you could receive as much time and attention as you need from the on-staff estate attorney that will work with you. They'll prepare everything for you, walk you through the whole process. They'll also help you with the changes to law that are constantly being made. Go to LibertyEstatePlans.com and schedule your free consultation. Um, if you already have a plan, you just want to make sure you're getting the best service, he'll look at it for free. Tell him Daniel called, uh, recommended you. I'll give you 20% off, um, but it's a free consultation. Again, LibertyEstatePlans.com. Don't let the government or other sharks in the water prevent your children from inheriting your estate. So we have this ruling, Judge Torres in New York where they're now applying critical race theory, critical race theory in the courtroom. So we have this crisis of gun felons 
gangbanger gun felons that are just destroying the streets. And again, when you talk about equity, the one thing they don't talk about is the disproportionate um, uh, effect on black victims of homicide. If I were to play their game, I could say we should be able to sue the judges for being racist, letting these people out because um, 90% of the people shouldering the homicide burden from them are black. But there is a man named William Scott from the Bronx. This guy was recently caught as a felon possessing a gun. So this is a federal charge. Now, mind you, if the feds under this administration, although I, truth be told, I'm wrong about that. I think the the case was last year. It started last year. So it was the Trump administration. But still, if the feds are going after a guy, the guy's bad news. This guy, William Scott, is like the quintessential reason. He is the poster child for why the streets are so unsafe now. He has at least 25 arrests dating back to the 90s. Um, all sorts of drugs, firearms, attempted murder, assault, first degree assault, driving drunk. Um, again, all sorts of gun violations. He's a member of the Bloods gang. His nickname is Ill Will. Um, so he wasn't just like a guy. Okay, he's a felon because he had one drug possession and then he was just caught, you know, minding his own business, owning a gun, which is illegal. Forgot. No, no, no. It was felony possession of of ammo because he was caught with shell casings right around the corner from a shooting, a gang shooting. Someone was shot in the leg twice and he's believed to be involved in it. So it wasn't just like felony possession. He's believed to be involved in it. But again, the it's so hard to prove that. In, in a lot of these cases. So the guy would go free. This is where the federal firearms charges come into play, where you could really nail the guy. And that's the whole purpose of it. So they did that. Now, what happens is the guy, he was not taken out of district. It's within the Southern district of New York, but a different venue than Manhattan where the shooting happened. Mind you, he's from the Bronx. They had it. They had the grand jury convene in white plains which is still, it's upstate New York, but it's still part of the district. And this Judge Torres tossed out the grand jury indictment, let him go free, because she said there weren't enough blacks on the grand jury pool. This has never happened. I mean, even the Supreme Court, which has indulged this nonsense, has always said that you have to, you have, to have some sort of proof that there was some sort of bias, and then you could bring in the demographics. But you can't just say, Hey, not enough whites, not, not enough blacks. Done. Like, wh- where's the evidence that they, you know, that that they didn't apply the standards of probable cause to issue that indictment? Indeed, the Supreme Court said in Holland v. Illinois, 1990, defendants are not entitled to a jury of any particular composition, and they're talking about a petty jury. That's that's a trial jury. Remember, this is just a grand jury. Now, there is a right to a grand jury in the Fifth Amendment. But it's not like as ironclad as a trial jury because a lot of states, it wasn't incorporated against the state. So states don't have um, uh, more than half the states don't have a requirement um, to to hit you up on that with a grand jury. In many cases, it could be even a prosecutor, um, even for felonies, much less misdemeanors in the federal system, obviously, is the Fifth Amendment. But it's uh, what I'm saying is it's always been a lower threshold than petty judges, petty juries. But this judge sat and said defendants have produced clear statistical evidence of underrepresentation of black and Latinx. They got the right 
nomenclature there in the pool from which the grand jury was drawn. And basically, she said that there were they didn't use inactive voters from the pool. They looked at the voter list and didn't have inactive voters, which would skew more non-white. And therefore, let's a gangbanger gun felon completely go. These same bastards that yelp about gun violence, this is what they're doing. It's an Obama pointee. And mind you, these judges are having it both ways. They're saying that, oh, we can't convene trials so people have to be let go because of COVID. So then they tried here to have it in White Plains. I think it was just easier with the COVID restrictions to have it in White Plains instead of Manhattan. Oh, no, no, you can't do that. Violates the Fifth and Sixth Amendment. (laughs) So you now have a right to a specific composition. Now, again, this flips inalienable rights on its head. This is not an inalienable right. You have a, a right to a fair trial, but not to a particular composition. But interestingly enough, it doesn't apply the other way around because we have no equal protection anymore. You know where I'm headed. <coughs> Derek Chauvin. Okay? Hennepin County is 74% white. 50% of the jury was non-white. But it's worse than that. There, it's not just a composition issue. One of the jurors actually attended a BLM event. Another one um, said how she was she was, she was so happy to be on the jury to convict him. Um, I mean, there's tons of stuff there. It was loaded from day one. He never had a fair trial, but that's fine. That's totally fine. Again, this guy had charges for um, attempted murder, assault, theft, weapons possession, drug charges gang member terrorizing the streets let go and and, and there's no effort to talk about reforming this this is the same judge who ruled that NYPD's stop and frisk policy is unconstitutional Um, very interesting version of the constitution obviously stop and frisk has saved lives in New York and Chicago this is where we are This is where we are. Let's move on to some more court opinions. You have a right to de facto welfare, but you don't have the right to open your business, breathe freely, and avoid avoid experimental injections in your body. Yes, you heard that correctly. This is where we are as a people. So... I'm going to juxtapose a couple of recent court decisions, state and federal. Basically, you have the right to someone else's property. You have the right to taxpayer funds. You have the right to bennies and welfare, but you don't have the right to your own property. Think about how corrupt these courts are. So we all saw Kavanaugh joined with the five liberals and agreed, four liberals, agreed that basically the CDC, he's not going to put an injunction on the CDC's ruling barring landlords from evicting people during COVID that don't pay their rent. People themselves because of COVID that aren't getting handouts and are strapped for cash 
often they themselves have to pay, sometimes they're subrenting, they themselves have to pay rent. And the government, at a time when government was handing out free money to everyone, so you just pay, pay people to pay the rent if you're doing that, instead they put the onus on the landowners, the business owners, to eat it. No property rights. Retroactively vitiated private contracts. This is literally what our country was founded for. This is what our founders had in mind when Jefferson and Adams and Roger Sherman sat down to write that declaration. This is what they had in mind with life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Okay, this is where we are. It was one of the most radical things ever done by the Trump administration, by the way. It was continued by the Biden administration. Kavanaugh says that it's going to expire, but I'm sure they're going to issue a modified new order. So CDC can just control everyone. Hold that thought now. Let's go on to Indiana. This was a state judge ruling in Marion County, I believe. So this wasn't an executive order. This was it passed the Stupid Cares Act from Congress signed into law. Basically handing out everyone free money, an extra time, scope, the number of people eligible for unemployment, to the point where in some states they are literally getting $700 to $1,000 when you you know add the new and the old uh, baseline rates. Between $700 and $1,000 in some states, some states it was six, $700, some states it was eight to eight, 900 a week of unemployment benefits. So it basically destroyed the entire state economies because they couldn't find people to, you know, to work. Tons of jobs and tons, tons of sectors. It wasn't worth it. it. Wasn't worth it. Especially when they tell people you're going to die if you go out to work and die of COVID. So here you get to stay home and get the money. Well, a judge in Indiana ruled, nope, you can't do that. UI benefits are instrumental in allowing Hoosiers to regain financial stability at an individual level while the state continues to face challenges presented by COVID during its return to normalcy. Judge uh, John Hanley from Marion County Superior Court. So this guy is now saying codifying you have a right during a pandemic to extended UI benefits, and a state doesn't have a vital interest not to be commandeered by the federal government. It's not within the interest and powers of a state to just say, look, this is you can't pay people not to work. We're just not going to dispense that. We can't do that. So he's like, people have the right to return to normalcy during covid and he defines that by well, meaning welfare. But you don't have the right to open your business. You don't have the right to breathe freely. And there's a lawsuit now. Indiana State Colleges, funded by taxpayers, you don't have the right to attend without an experimental injection. Upside down, inside out. You don't have the right to your own rental. Government commandeers that. But you have the right to unemployment welfare that stimulates unemployment. This is where we are. It's kind of like, you know, I always say courts were supposed to serve more as a shield for individual rights against action 
taken against them by governments, not as swords to secure entitlements from governments or even from individual landowners. Redistribution. You know, in, um, there, there's a statement of hospitality in Mexico, mi casa es su casa, right? My house is your house. <laughs> that has basically been enshrined as legal theory. Your, your property is his property. But your property is not your own property. This is what we have. But what's truly astounding is that at a time when the courts are saying that a landlord with a single apartment, okay, so you can go anywhere else. I have a small business. I own one, two buildings. I don't have the freedom to deny service to someone who doesn't pay. But a Florida judge just ruled the law signed by DeSantis to fine the big tech platforms that knock off candidates, deplatform them, says that violates the platform's First Amendment rights. Okay, it violates their First Amendment rights. This is from Politico. Federal judge on Wednesday granted a preliminary injunction against Florida's new social media law. It was set to go in effect Thursday, SB 7072. Um, it banned, uh, it, it uh, basically fined social media companies that banned political candidates in the run-up to an election with penalties ranging from 25000 to 250000 a day. Judge Robert Hinkle. Robert Hinkle. Um is I believe he's a Clinton appointee. He said that plaintiffs were like plaintiffs were likely to succeed um, on their First Amendment arguments. The legislation now at issue was in an effort to rein in social media providers deemed too large and too liberal. Now, folks, you might say, "Okay, Daniel, you know this is not necessarily a shield. This is more like a sword. I don't know. Do you have a right to access someone else's thing?" And this is a complicated discussion. But here's the deal. If we're going to, say, bake the cake, Jack Phillips, that you can't discriminate in anything you do, you know, um, you can't deny service. You can't deny service to someone who doesn't pay. You can't deny service to something that violates your conscience as a small business owner. Yet if you have people with a monopoly over what is essentially the communication equivalent of public streets... And violate antitrust laws. We do have a, you, know, you could say antitrust is unconstitutional. Maybe in 1787 they would have felt that way. But we've had them for over 100 years. And we apply it in every other context. So here the biggest conglomerates could get together with the biggest public interest of information. And completely knock off candidates off views. But what's more important is it is government speech. You know, the, 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 you know suddenly this guy got religious. like, don't bastardize the constitution. It doesn't say... You know, the a private business shall establish no law, you know, infringing upon the uh, First Amendment rights. It says Congress. But the deal is, for example, when they just today, uh, um, you know, we had a terrific show yesterday with Robert Malone, the inventor of mRNA vaccines. This guy was he, he showed me a letter he was sent. He was permanently now kicked off of LinkedIn. Okay. That is sponsored by the government. The marketing, it was a, a billion dollars worth of marketing in the, in the 
COVID bill in, in, in December that they passed. Taxpayer funding to market poison and lie about it. And it's being used to coerce people. You now have courts doing it as, as forced vaccination as part of agreement to see your kids in custody and divorce battles or to as part of probation for criminals. I mean, is government compelling it? And they're stifling all its government-sponsored stifling of any criticism, any information. The Biden administration sat down with Zuckerberg on vaccine promotion. That is government censoring speech. They're the ones violating First Amendment. They're like, they have a First Amendment right. Suddenly they discover it. So that's what happened in Florida. Now hold that thought. Let me introduce to you one final court case I want to talk about today. We had the state judge, county judge in Indiana saying there's a right to welfare during a pandemic. A federal judge in Indiana just ruled. And by the way, it was an Obama. It was a Trump appointed judge, no less. Who is this dude? Trump appointed judge Patrick Hanlon. So the state of Indiana just passed a law saying that doctors, uh, for those seeking abortions, have to provide them with information about this new abortion reversal drug that's available to them. And he put an injunction on it. Six states have similar requirements in place. North Dakota, Oklahoma, Tennessee... Um, they've also been blocked by legal challenges, so this is not the first time. But basically, the government wasn't forcing anyone to do anything, restricting them from doing anything, just saying doctors should do this. Okay? Doctors should do this. And basically, the judge ruled, nope, You can't do this. You're not allowed to lie to people. And give them misinformation. So you could lie to people and shove the vaccine down them and not give the other side of that. But when it comes to abortion, so so think, think about this. I want you guys to think about this. Somehow it's not in a state interest or power to disseminate information to say to save the unborn. Right, somehow you're trotting on on rights there. When you're not you're not doing anything, putting out information, but a state cannot not only spend taxpayer funding lying and providing misinformation about the efficacy of masks and the safety of experimental injections, but downright mandate them on our human bodies. Think about that. The court system is corrupt. They flip fundamental rights on their head. And again, this is why I have no faith in these Supreme Court decisions. Because the lower courts will just come back for more. They're going to keep doing this stuff. And again, these laws are placed on hold. The, The blue states are awful. The red states, you have rhinos. The few things that we can get that are decent that pass out of these states... 
they all get enjoined by the courts, which is why rather than somehow playing their judicial game, we need to delegitimize judicial supremacy. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity. The Democrats had this commission to limit the power of the courts. I was like, that's great. We should shake hands on it. You don't like some of their decisions? Fine. We don't like tons of theirs. Let's call it a day. But that applies to your lower courts, certainly. Instead, the 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 effort to of court reform has fizzled out. And you know why? Because I told you it was, a, it was a paper tiger. The left was just scaring us. They know that the courts are not only not a threat, but they're on net helping them, despite you know today's rulings. This is the unbelievable breath of insanity we're seeing in the courts. It was amazing watching this opinion like, you can shove things without evidence. That's what this uh, um, Trump-appointed federal judge in Indiana was saying. There's no evidence. There's this, this abortion reversal thing. Well, you, and mind you, it's not like you're forcing people to take it. Here, there's no evidence that this stuff is safe and there's evidence that the jabs are unsafe. And masks are unsafe. And yet, not only could government provide you information on it, they could mandate them. And that's a good segue into my next point. I just have an article on this out today. Some of you might have seen this. A randomized controlled trial, blinded trial, the gold standard, published in JAMA. I don't know how it got published. And I'd be shocked if they don't take it down or modify it now that a bunch of us have drawn attention to it, but it was published yesterday for the first time. So we know masks don't work. We already see that they collect a lot of bacteria, but we've always suspected that they likely diminish your oxygen and increase your carbon dioxide. And that's a very serious problem. How could government mandate this for 15 months on end and never bother with the trillions of dollars they got for COVID embarking on a simple study that would be very easy for them to do, measure the carbon dioxide levels. So the Germans did this. 45 children. And I know, oh, 45 is a small sample size. We know we'll hear that. But if you understand what they're doing, it's not complicated. You're just measuring levels compared to people not wearing masks and the results are so jarring that you can't miss it you'll the, the, the small sample size shouldn't matter they basically conclude they found that they measured between 384 and 374 ppms of carbon dioxide in inhaled air under surgical and filtering face piece masks. Which is higher than what is already deemed unacceptable by the German German Federal Environmental Office. It's like their OSHA. By a factor of six. So the average carbon dioxide level found in these masks worn by children was higher than the acceptable level by a factor of six. But that's not all. The value was reached after three minutes of measurement. Children under normal condition in schools wear such masks for a mean of 270 minutes. 
the value of the child with the lowest carbon dioxide level was still threefold greater than the limit of 0.2% by volume. The youngest children had the highest values with one seven-year-old child's carbon dioxide level measured at 25,000 ppm. I believe that's roughly, that would be roughly something like 11, 12 times the acceptable level. Just a rough estimate there. Simple study. Daniel, it's not enough. Okay, so why don't you do it? How have we gone this long mandating this? Where are the courts saying, show me your evidence? Whenever it comes to abortion, show me your evidence that this works, that this is safe. What you want to do. And that's just the flow of information. It's unbelievable. They conclude that children should not be forced to wear masks. This leads in turn to impairments attributable to hypercapnia. A recent review concluded that there was ample evidence for adverse effects of wearing such masks. We suggest the decision makers weigh the hard evidence produced by these experimental measurements accordingly, which suggests that children should not be forced to wear face masks. The only RCT ever done on mask efficacy in is done in the Netherlands, you know, in Denmark, showed masks do not do anything. The only RCT so far ever done on side effects, in this case, just one side effect, carbon dioxide increase, have shown that indeed it is a serious problem, six-fold increase after three minutes. And by the way, there have been other studies over the years that have studied, you know, long before COVID healthcare workers working long shifts, and they found much higher levels because they wear them longer. It's funny, Germany is the only one that seems to have these studies. They, they If you remember, they have this published survey of 25,000 parents of school children in Germany, 68% reported impairments, 60% irritability, 53% headaches, um, 50% difficulty concentrate, concentrating, um, 42% melee, 38% impaired learning, 37% drowsiness or fatigue. And, you know, you could say that's, a, that's not scientific, it's a survey, but it really jives with this because if you see the higher carbon dioxide levels that we've now proven, that's exactly what's going to happen. And again, if you speak to anyone who's an expert on this, they're going to tell you part of how the other side have got, has gotten away with this is because, oh, it's well, you know, we don't see them fainting and dropping dead. People think of hypercapnia as like an all or nothing deal, like you faint. But no, it could be a long process of denying oxygen to your brain. And that has long-term effects. Megan Mansell, one of the PPE experts we've had on over the year, she predicted this exactly. She talked about um, the expanded volume of dead air, dead air space that this creates, which allows carbon dioxide to build up. Um, and, and the study does talk about that. She was really on target with this. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is this is where we are. Obviously, child masks are even worse. Their brain cell, their cells are still growing. And um, Megan told me she believes that there's a lot of evidence we're seeing um, growth in stillborns and miscarriages. And she believes pregnant women, and there have been studies on this, 
they even saw this w- with women wearing masks in the 1919 uh, Spanish flu that the hypercapnia could harm fetuses. Never been studied. Wear a wet, moist mask on your face for eight hours, ten hours a day. Shut up. No evidence needed to be produce it. No right to breathe. Government doesn't have to produce the evidence. So again, what we see in some total is that the definition of what is an individual right, the definition of what is a governmental power, what is a governmental prerogative has been flipped on its head upside down, inside out. You can't reconcile a country like this. Today, July 1st, is the anniversary of Gettysburg. The battle began the first of the three days. And, uh, you know, my father was going to take my son out to the reenactment on Sunday there. They have a reenactment. And, you know, you think about how we went to war over disagreement, fundamentally over one issue of natural law. And that was really pre-existing since the beginning of the country. Not, I'm sorry, not the country, the founding of the settlement, which, by the way, was encouraged by King George and the British. They made money off of it. If anything, the overwhelming majority of the founders, particularly the more religious ones, wanted to get rid of it. A lot of people forget that the first draft of Jefferson, and Jefferson was a little bit more secular relatively, and also a slave owner himself. Certainly, you know, others felt it was abhorrent and didn't own slaves. But even Jefferson, um, he had in his first draft... One of the, you know, there's a list of like 15 indictments of King George. One of them was the slave trade, that he basically planted slavery in the continent. They wanted to get rid of it. They they wrote it out for obviously obvious reasons, because, you know, the you know, three three or so colonies, minority of them, wouldn't wouldn't get on board. And that was that was a problem with the Constitution itself, too. Eventually led to the Civil War. But our founding was not flawed. The declaration was not flawed. It actually even meant to include it. It was an aspiration. Let's get unalienable rights for as many people as we can with the hopes of completing it. That's what Lincoln always talked about. And Lincoln felt that he, he had the time, the place to do that, which is why at the Gettysburg Address, he invoked the, um, the declaration. He's always very into that. But you look at the, the preamble of the Constitution we celebrate that or should celebrate it September 17th, that specifies the preamble of the declaration. In order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, not any particular person, secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. Every clause of that has been flipped upside down, inside out, Fully unequal, no unalienable rights. What's an unalienable right is trodden upon by government. What's not a right and what's a vital interest of government, the people as a whole, is flipped on its head. And that's essentially where we are today. That is where we are today. So again, a lot of you have sent me a lot of questions for Dr. Malone. I am going to answer them, feel free to keep emailing me, dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. We're going to continue having more coverage on this. 
Um, I'm, I, I do hope to get a little bit more on the other side of July 4th into some of the election law stuff going on, the, the audits. Um, that's obviously of vital importance that we need to get rid of these machines um, because even just within red states, you know, they're, they're not secure and we have to be able to win primaries. Uh, remember, the establishment could and it has been proven to cheat against us in primaries, just like the Democrats do in generals. And we saw that obviously in Mississippi with uh, Chris McDaniel and Thad Cochran. So that is certainly an issue there. Um, one more quick thing I do want to mention. You know, we talked about all this, all the crime going on and the need to get tougher on crime, yet Republican legislatures are not doing it. And the one avenue they have when they have trifecta control, they're taking the very elements of jailbreak that are, you know, creating a raging fire. The worst antecedents, the worst causes of the crime bubble. And they're pouring light air fluid on them, making them worse. The Flo- I didn't know about this. The Florida legislature, Republican controlled, three to one they passed this. A bill to further expunge the records of juveniles. Juvenile, as you well know, juvenile crime, it it is one of the top three causes of the crime bubble. Um, We are, how could any Republican think we're too lenient on juveniles? All they deserve second chances. They're getting a second chance. By definition, they have a record. They're out of jail now. Great. Stay out of jail. Oh, you committed more crimes. Well, then we need to see your record. That's not a first time anymore. But when you expunge it, you start all over again. And this is the problem. This is how you have these gangbangers that rape, beat, harm, harm, carjack, and they start anew every time. It's like quicksand. You can't build the criminal points and tag them as early as we can for public safety. It's a huge problem. Republicans passed this. Governor DeSantis vetoed the bill yesterday against his own party. So he deserves a lot of credit for that. But again, it just underscores. Now, I don't know. I have to find out whether they're going to override his veto. I believe they have the votes if they wanted to. But it would be vintage GOP to take a popular governor on a popular issue that's popular with suburban moms, crime bubble, and champion a Soros left of Dukakis issue and override your popular governor on this issue. It would be vintage Republicans to do that. Which is why I don't want to hear about 2024 and the president and taking back Congress. Because if this is what you're going to do with the trifectas you already have, then we're done anyway. This is where the fight is. If you're going to ignore that, we sure as heck aren't going to get good stuff out of Congress. But anyway, we'll have our July 4th show tomorrow, and then we'll be off till Tuesday. I have been a little bit slow creating our ConAction teams, but I do need some of you to sign up uh, to help serve as the at least the initial coordinator and team leader of our state. I need more state leaders, so you could email me, sign up um, at ConAction.com, or... 
Um, email me dharwoods at blazemedia.com. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.